Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Cool Show, live in the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. We took a trip, now we on your block and it's like a ghost town. Baby, where did these be at when they said they Christian Fowler is senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We have a podcast called the On the Bluff Pod. Releases every single Tuesday at noon. Uh, you can find it on Apple, Spotify, full-length video version on YouTube. He is on X. You can follow him there at C Fowler BCM. Christian, what's the word, brother? How are you? Oh, we're just doing wonderful, Gabe Coon. How are you doing? I'm doing kind of wonderful. Um, I expected to be doing better with the news that we got, you know, uh, not too long ago about Fred Smith and the fifty million dollars and uh, sort of all these stadium projects getting some level of funding that they needed. But now we have uh, Memphis City Council kind of ruining my mood on that. That's sort of where they I'm at right now, Christian. Negative. Yeah, they, they found, found a way to. to they're they're trying to. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I, I am of the opinion, I think everybody's of the opinion, there's two options here. One, you hold up everything, you don't let this plan pass through, and uh, everyone gets angry, you risk the Grizzlies leaving, uh, you, you don't get any stadium renovations done, or um, the other you know, more positive response is pass this thing through and everybody gets what they want. You have three years to fund the rest of the Grizzlies project, which could be ample enough time, we'll see, but... Uh, if those are the options, I think which one sounds – I know which one sounds a lot uh, a lot better and more enticing for most of the people in the city of Memphis. Yeah, uh, it's, it's as simple as that. It's one way or the other. Either things are going to get pretty rocky <laughs> and could get pretty bitter or everything just passes and goes through and everybody's as happy as they were two weeks ago when this was first announced. And, that, and, and that's really the extent of it. So – I don't know if the thought process initially was, hey, maybe if we don't push this through, everything will be okay. I don't know where that thought process would have come from, but clearly there's been fallout just from the idea of it. Once again, it goes back to the conversation of why are you going to piss off your pro franchise? You know, that that obviously brings in a ton of money for the city and is good for the economy of the city. Why is that even on the table and an option? So, yes, you're, you're right. The The one option is, Clearly much better. Make everybody <laughs> happy. Don't make things rocky. Yes, and uh, J.B. Smiley and Martavius Jones and the guys that seem to be sort of against this in the city council, I, I just I have real questions about what their intentions are in trying to hold this process up. That's the frustrating part. I get that there's just natural resistance to change at times. Right. Um, but if you don't hand over the, the uh, Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium to – um, the University of Memphis, everything could get held up, and you don't want everything to get held up. It's sort of, I, I, I have the question of like, are we acting, uh, you know, for me or for we? And it feels like those two guys in particular are acting for me, the the guy they look in the mirror every morning. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like I said, it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. I don't understand the resistance to it. And you could you could hit the nail on the head there. Is it just? resistance to change uh, because we know that just in general that's that's a struggle for people to change is not is not something that is easy for people and maybe maybe that could be the answer here because I just don't see I don't see logic to it I guess I don't see 
I don't even see why it's on the table, why it's an option to not pass it through. I mean, we saw what the response was overall from the city a couple weeks ago when everything was announced. You and I talked about the city handing over the rights to Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium to the university and how that would be a positive for both parties in that regard. And so it just, I don't see the negatives to it. Well, like, I, don't, I, th- I don't see the reason I, to be opposing it. I mean, the part of it, uh, I mean, part of it is, you know, the city wants to hand over the debt that is part of the of Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium to the University right. of Memphis. But I don't even know if you can legally do that. That's been discussed, but right. it's just, it is frustrating. I, I, that's That's where I'm at. It's just very, very frustrating to see progress being held up in the name of someone seemingly trying to help themselves out in the process, maybe get a board seat. I don't know what money would be on the table for these guys, what money has been on the table for these guys having Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, but it just feels like a, a sort of selfish ploy where you're not looking out for the, the greater good of the city of Memphis. You're sort of looking out for your personal interest, and that's yeah, no, that's I, sick. That's disgusting to me. Right. Yeah. That, if, if that is, then, then that is bad. I don't want to speak on it. Right. Obviously, I, but, I don't know the exact the particulars of it. Right. Yeah. But overall, yeah, it's a cluster. It's frustrating, and hopefully, it is resolved positively, and not they don't go against the grain on this because then it could get ugly. You yeah. Know, Memphis Grizzlies could put could put the city council's feet to the fire, and that that could be bitterness. They, it just there there's so many negative ways this can go if it's not passed through versus the opposition of that where it's pretty positive for everybody not only these you know the Memphis Grizzlies and the University of Memphis but also just just the people of of Memphis and Memphis fans it's just it's positive on that side so let's go that way yeah now let's get to uh some I guess somewhat positive uh discussion um I mean sort of a little bit of a distraction if you will but uh how'd you enjoy your uh, championship weekend did you enjoy your championship weekend Oh, very much so. I, I very much enjoyed the championship weekend. The Georgia-Bama game actually turned out the way that we thought it was, which, you know, you, do, <laughs> you don't always get them right. So we, we had a feeling about Bama. See, I, 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 hate that I, we right. I hate that I watched that Auburn game and it, 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 it sort of transitioned me away from thinking Bama was going to win that game, at least for the week. But you know that, what, three or four weeks leading up to that game, yeah. I was all on Bama. Yeah, and I mean, even even on the podcast last week, we stuck by it and said, you know what, we've been Bama the whole time. It didn't look great against Auburn, but obviously SEC Championship, much bigger atmosphere, get up for that a little bit more, and they did. They played a great game. That was, to me, the best the best game of the weekend. Other than that, it was pretty nondescript. Washington-Oregon, obviously, on Friday night was a good game, but yep. Louisville-Florida State, pretty boring uh, Tulane and SMU wasn't even the fireworks that I think a lot of people probably expected in in that game between two offenses that have been really good this year. So it was it was decent. It wasn't the best. Michigan and Iowa was obviously terrible. Yeah, of I course it was. Everybody expected. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but we still we still got some championship weekend gym, so you can't can't complain too much. It's so damn hard to have a over under set at half for each half and not hit it and not, not get the it. over. I mean that's that's, impo- yeah, that's it seems impossible, but it is Iowa, so I guess nothing's impossible in that regard. Now, uh, what you what do you happens. think? What do you think about the college football playoff uh, final ranking? There, we're gonna have uh, uh, Alabama versus uh, Michigan, and then Washington versus Texas, and it looks like, and not just looks like, it is, this is how it all figured itself out. Florida State is completely out 
um, because of quarterback injuries, even though they were 13-0 and on the ACC. How does that sort of make you feel? Are you, are you on board with that? I think there's two different ways I look at it. I, I look at the way it should have played out. They should have gotten in. They did everything right. Um, and the way I think I would want it to play out is the way it played out because I think Florida State is not on the level of those schools right this second. Um, I understand somewhat why the decision was made, but it is completely unfair and unjust. I think that's probably where about 80 to 90% of people are right now. As a college football fan who wants to see the best potential games and matchups, this is the best college football playoff that we could have gotten, arguably outside of possibly Georgia being in there. Yep. But matchups between Michigan and Bama and Washington and Texas, like those have the potential to be two really, really good games. The Jim Harbaugh, Nick Saban storyline, uh, that all writes itself. Like the lead up to that Michigan Bama game is going to be incredible. And then, you know, you have what, what most people look at as two of the best quarterbacks in the country. One is a guy that's uh, a somewhat of a journeyman and been around and has dealt with injury and has been elite this year and is a, a Heisman finalist. And another guy who is the highest rated recruit literally of all time, the yep. highest rated quarterback prospect ever in Quinn Ewers, who I've been critical of this year, but has has played really well at times and has not looked great at times and saved his best game for the Big 12 championship against Oklahoma State. So the matchups are incredible, but you're absolutely right on the other part. It's it's completely unfair, and it's a weird it's a weird move for the committee. But I don't think anyone's surprised by anything right. that happens in college football, whether it's a college football playoff committee or the NCAA. Like it, it's just not it's not surprising. No, it's terrible. It's it's unfair. I've, you you have to feel horrible for Mike Norvell and Jordan Travis and the entirety of the Florida State roster and staff. Like they, you said, they did everything right. They won every game ahead of them. Uh, they scheduled uh, one of the toughest non-conference opponents in the country in LSU, especially going into the year. LSU was preseason top 10 team, maybe even top five. might have been number five going into the season. So they scheduled difficult games. They win their conference championship. They beat er- literally everybody in front of them, and they're left out. Well, it, it's And that's just, just it, it's hard to wrap your mind it, around it, going – 13 and 0 undefeated and winning your conference championship and not making it one of only three teams to do so and obviously the other two teams in Michigan and Washington are in the playoff. The the precedent of ignoring every metric in front of you to go ahead and put Texas and Alabama in over uh over uh, Florida State. That's that's the bothersome part because that precedent and I know that that's been used in the past but not to this extent. We've never seen a Power 5 conference champion that was undefeated missed the college football playoff. We've seen it now because of quarterback injuries, but they ignored all the metrics. Like the fact that I, I, beyond, beyond just sort of how this all shook out, you just look at the final week where Florida State was already ahead of Texas. Texas moves up two spots for beating the number 20 team in the country while Florida State drops two spots or drop, drops a spot for beating the number 14 team in the country. I think it right. would have played out differently differently in my mind or like I think I would have accepted it a little bit more if the committee just decided to make this switch a couple weeks ago. Right? Put Florida State at 6 or 7 
make the right. make sure we know they're on the outside looking in until they show that a backup or third string quarterback uh, can give them some level of production. You know that that's the problem I have. You had them at four going into the final week. The thought process at that point was okay if they beat the number fourteen team in the country, win their conference championship, they should absolutely in. be in. But if they just would have two weeks ahead of that decided, hey, when the Jordan Travis injury happened, hey, we're going to drop them down. They're going to have to do some proving on the offensive side of the ball before we put them back in. That would have, I think, that would have been a softer landing for them. But the way they did it, I think, was just completely unjust and ridiculous. It it makes no logical sense by the metrics. That's the issue I have. No, no, not at all. That definitely would have dampened it, though, because you would have been able to see right then that, okay, the committee is using this injury to evaluate Florida State further, and they're putting other teams ahead of them that are fully healthy or at least have their star players and are still playing good football and winning games. People still would have had an issue, don't get it twisted, but it's just a softer landing. You know what I mean? Yes. There definitely would have still been an issue with it, but you would have seen earlier in the process that that could be something that would affect it or was something that was affecting it. Because if they would have dropped after Jordan Travis got injured, you would have known right then, okay, yeah, they're going to have to prove something to, to jump back up there. But they stayed locked in for the for the two games afterwards against you know going into the Florida game and then going into the conference championship against Louisville. They they didn't drop. They didn't move. What did they drop? Did they drop one spot to four or were they at four? They they were at know, four they, last week. They were but, at four. They dropped right. one spot to five. Yeah. But they, but they, that's what I'm saying. They were locked in going into the yes. week, did not lose the game, and fell back. And that just – you, you can't <laughs> logically explain that away. You, there's no way for them to logically explain that away. They it, Honestly, like what it feels like is they thought there was no way that they were going to go beat Louisville. Which is with a foolish, though. That's foolish. Louisville's right. been trending in because, the wrong direction. <laughs> right. They just, got, they just got beat by a not very good Kentucky team the week before, and they allowed 38 points. And I get it, you know, second, potentially third-string quarterback. Obviously, it ended up being the third-string quarterback, Brock Glenn, going into the game. But the committee had to be the biggest Louisville fans of all time on Saturday because they knew what was going to happen if Florida State won. I'm sure they already knew that they weren't going to put them in. And they end up winning, and they have to bite the bullet and and just go for it. And they did. They went for it. They – it they, was they it was a question of what could they get away with. A lot of backlash. It was a question right. of what they could have got away with because I think um, you would have had uh, maybe same similar reaction, if not more reaction, if Alabama got in and Texas didn't. Because that seems like I don't know. <laughs> I tweeted this out last night because I find it kind of funny. It felt like the one thing that the committee was strong on, with everything else being a crapshoot. Right, the Florida State thing tells us that everything else is a crapshoot. The one thing they were strong on all year. Texas was never going to be ranked below Bama in, under any circumstance. Like, that was never yeah. going to happen because of Texas beating them in week two. I do find that that just sort of narrative and thought process maybe a little bit foolish. I understand head-to-head should matter, but at the same time, no one's going to make the argument that Alabama is the same team they were week two. For God's sakes, they sat down their starting quarterback um, who who likely will finish top ten in Heisman voting in Jalen Milrow after that game, and he he obviously has been phenomenal down the stretch of the season. The defense has been phenomenal since then. They haven't lost a game since then. They be they, and by the way, you can't just ignore the fact that okay, maybe Texas's win against Alabama 
uh, was the best win in college football up till this past weekend, but the best win in college football now is Alabama over Georgia in the SEC championship in Atlanta. I, I, I just find it strange that was their one sticking point that they were not going to come off of. While everything else was, was up for change, everything else could change around them, Texas was never going to be ranked below Bama under any circumstance. Yeah, which I'm with you is, is I guess I get it in a sense, but it's also kind of weird because how much stock can you really put into a week to win? Now, if a team is rolling and that is like their one hiccup, and if you zoomed all the way out, excuse me, if you zoomed all the way out and you looked at Alabama, you'd say that is their only hiccup. But if you watch them, which the committee obviously has to do that, then you would know that Alabama in week two, week three, week four is not the same Alabama that played down the stretch and then went to Atlanta and beat Georgia. Not not even close to the same team. I mean, they almost lost or at least had a competitive game against South Florida. Mm-hmm. It, it's not the same team. So I, you can't you can't value that win as the well, best win in college football. Like I, I think it just would have been much more acceptable to put put Florida State and Bama in and leave Texas out. I I, again, I, I Texas, agree. Te- I agree, but the committee didn't feel that way clearly. No, clearly. And Texas is a you know one of the biggest programs in the country, and it's a big money maker program. And you know I, I feel like the money thing is not being brought up as much as I would expect it to be because usually with anything college sports related, we all turn to money and what that oh, means. Yeah. And you think about this top four outside of Washington, which they just, they, there was no way they could have left Washington out and put Georgia in or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. But Michigan, Texas, and Alabama are in, are in the top four are in the college football playoff. This has the potential to be the most watched and the most profitable college right. football playoff of all time. And, and I get why the decision was made from a TV executive standpoint. You had to have TV executive glasses on to make the decision they made. Yeah, and they are, they're going to make a lot of money from this. A lot more money than they would if, if Florida State was in there. Uh, Florida State is not going to draw nearly the viewership that any of those other three teams are going to bring in. It's, it's just not going to happen. And Not that Florida State isn't a huge historic program in college football that has a rabid fan base as well. I think it's one of the best fan bases in college football, honestly. But Texas, they're not trumping Texas, Michigan, right. and Bama. And, ju- and, yeah. and then they get in the catch-22 of, did we put, okay, so we put Texas in, so we can't put Bama in because we got to put Florida State in. You leave the SEC out of the college football playoff. And I, I don't even think that's explode. acceptable. I agree with that. <laughs> it's, not, yeah, that's, should, it's not how that would work out. No, or should no, they couldn't. Out. They couldn't. They couldn't leave Bama or Georgia out. You can't leave an SEC team out, especially if they're deserving, because that's where the majority of the money in college football. That's comes where all from, the national the champions South, come from. <laughs> college football, exactly. That's where they all come exactly. from. So, like, so, I, I, mean, so I get it. They were, yeah, they were in an unenviable, un- unenviable. Sorry, can't talk today. Position, but still, you you got to do what's right, and they didn't. Yeah, um, I. I I do say this, though, on the flip side of that. I already mentioned I, I think that this is, uh, for competition's sake and for eyes being on these games, this is the best way it could have turned out. Um, and and I, I understand that. I see it on both sides. What should happen and what I want to happen are completely different things. What I wanted to happen is, is really uh, what, what did happen. Now, with that, Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama, is there anybody you rule out? That's, that's the fun part of this thing. Is there anybody you rule out of winning a natty out of those four teams? 
I mean, there's some that you would rule out more than others. Washington probably right. being at the top of that list. But we've seen Texas yeah. beat Bama. I don't think Michigan yeah. is untouchable when they play these other teams by any stretch of the imagination. So, like, no, I, I just look at all these teams. I could make a case. I could make a case for each one of them. Yeah, there, there's a ton of parity. And I feel like most years we go into a college football playoff, it feels like two teams, right? It feels like it's got to be one of these two teams. And if you did say two teams, you'd say Michigan and Bama. But guess what? First off, they play each other. And second off, Washington and Texas have really good quarterbacks that can get hot at any time. Yep. And if Michael Penix is playing the way that he did at the beginning, middle of the season, when it looked like he was probably the front runner for the Heisman, and they continue to run the ball the way that they have with Dylan Johnson, who's to say Washington can't make a run? Right. And with Texas, with Quinn Ewers and what they have with him, and Xavier Worthy and Sanders, and uh, they, they have a lot of weapons. I know they don't have Jordan Brooks anymore, the running back, but they still have a lot of weapons on that team. And Quinn Ewers showed on Saturday that he can put up big performances and have big are you, games. By and, the way, are you a, are you a Quinn Ewers moments. fan again? Or, or now, now, I shouldn't say again. I don't know if you were ever on board, fully on board with Quinn Ewers, but are you there now? I know that you had uh, stayed off the bandwagon for a while. I think I'm still kind of skeptical, which I've I've said this going – I mean, we talked about this after Texas beat Bama. Like, is Texas back? How do we feel about Quinn Ewers? And, and I said then, like, Quinn Ewers has to show me that he can be consistently good for me to, to jump on board with him, especially as an NFL prospect and being a potential top five pick one day. And he still hasn't been super consistent. He's been up and down, and he, he's – had moments against inferior teams where he hasn't played well. But this is one of those stretch runs where he, if he does something magical and does what he did Saturday against Oklahoma State, that this could be the tipping point for Quinn Ewers where it's like that's where he became elite. And yeah. we've seen that from a ton of players. We've seen a ton of players in the college football playoff change everyone's opinion and perspective on who they are as a player. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, it, I'm not, I have never really closed the door on Quinn Ewers because we know how talented he is. But for me to say he's, like, extremely elite, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, like, this is the time for him to step up and show that, you know, that he is is and can be consistent and isn't up and down. I mean, if he goes and wins the national championship and plays like he did on Saturday, then a lot of people are going to be talking about Quinn Ewers yeah, and no, Light that he's never been talked about before. Yeah, no no denying him at that point. But talking with Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM, we have uh, also bowl season. All the bowls have been announced. And the Tigers rerun a 2017, my final game in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl versus Iowa State. What are your thoughts on the early matchup? Like, early, thinking about this matchup, what are your thoughts? It's it, it's not the most exciting option in the world, and I think that's it's because, you know, you don't get to go to a – to a bowl game that's a bigger bowl game that's in another city or something like that. Well, yeah, a warm weather bowl game with the beach and everything else. Like, I get that. Yeah. And Iowa State's not necessarily the most exciting opponent. Like, there are are opponents that could have brought in bigger storylines for the University of Memphis, but I still think it's a a fun game. And you, you brought this to my attention last night. I don't know if you've said it already, but I'll, I'll kind of reiterate what you said. These are two programs that have, really heavily mirrored each other over the last five to seven years going back to that 2017 Liberty Bowl game like these were two teams that 
had never had never had much of a history and just weren't weren't talked about that much. And then you get, you know, obviously what Fuente did, but then you get Mike Novella and you get Matt Campbell in for Iowa State. Both of those teams skyrocket and become, you know, top tw- perennial top twenty five teams and kind of reach the peak of their powers around the same time. And now they've kind of started to come back downhill. They went further downhill, and now it looks like they could be ascending again or improving again. So they mirror each other very very well, which is which is a fun storyline for the matchup. If you go back and look from 2016, 2017 until now, these teams have been relatively similar. So I, I think it's I think it's a fun game. You know, obviously you get a home game for a bowl game, which is cool. Um, you would imagine we'll see the Liberty Bowl pretty full. Yep. Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. Sorry. There you go. I can't can't help it. Um I'd imagine we'll see it pretty full with it being a hometown game, power five opponent. So it's fun. It's not best case scenario. Um, but it's up there. It, it this isn't like one of the bottom tier bowl games they could have went to or a bottom tier no-name opponent. So, overall, I think it, it played out really well for Memphis. Well, I'd say for a, from a player standpoint, yeah, you want to be in a warmer weather place. You want the beaches. You want a nice resort to stay on. I get all that. But it didn't seem like there was really those options out there for this team this year, right? Like it was no, military really. bowl or Liberty Bowl, and that sort of yeah. AutoZone Liberty Bowl, how it was going to shake out. And I think that this is the better option. This is a, a bigger-name bowl a better bowl for an AAC team to be a part of, and I, I respect that part of it. Now, Iowa State is actually kind of sneaky good. Uh, we talked about this on the pod uh, yesterday as well. They've had five losses, obviously one to Ohio, which they can't take back, um, but most of these losses are by four of the five are by ten points or less. The only time they got blown out was by Oklahoma 50-20 to 20 at Oklahoma when Oklahoma was rolling, but they've also beaten Kansas State, uh, played really close with Texas, played really good defense, uh, they they handled business um, also against Oklahoma State earlier in the year, who was in the Big Twelve Championship against Texas and is a top twenty five team. This Iowa State team's actually pretty damn good when you sort of go through the metrics and look at their results. Yeah, if you just look at them for face value on their record, you may say, okay, not great, but but you, yeah, the point is perfect, and there's a reason I think their odds makers have them at either eight and a half or I, nine and a half. Is it is it that big right now? I thought I saw yes, the opening line at six for Action Network, but I, I it's eight, eight and a half. You're right, eight and a half right now. Eight and a, yeah, eight and a half. So I mean, that shows you kind of what kind of team Iowa State is. Yes, they are. They're a good football team. They're not the elite of the Big Twelve, but they are. They're solid, and this is not an easy out at all for Memphis. So uh, honestly, having this game at home does help them out a little bit in that aspect, and it'll be fun to see what Memphis's offense, which we've given a lot of credit for, especially on this last six to seven game stretch of the season, what they can do against an Iowa State defense that has had some really good moments this year. Now, one more thing on, on Memphis football before we get into a little bit of basketball and ask about your concerns with Jordan Brown and uh, what you thought of the Ole Miss loss. But with Willie Fritz headed to Houston now and with SMU headed to the ACC, I know that we talked about nine and three, you know, being, you know, in some people's eyes, people are disenthused, not happy with that. And, you know, we talked about are the expectations too high? Those expectations only raise with those two bits of information, right? With with SMU to the ACC and Willie Fritz gone from Tulane, maybe Michael Pratt will follow him out the door. Um, I don't think there should be any any real reason if this team does retain a lot of the roster, which it sort of looks like that Seth Hennigan, Rock Taylor, McKylan Pounders, Demir Blankups, guys like that, 
there should be no reason this team isn't favored to win the conference next year. Yeah, they they should be. If they maintain the majority of their roster, they should be the favorites to go to the conference championship game, to win the conference. Because like you're saying, with with Willie Fritz and Tulane, you would imagine he's going to bring at least several players with him to Houston. And we've already heard the Michael Pratt transfer rumors before Willie Fritz decided to take another job. Right. So you would imagine Tulane's run is at least going to be put on hold. Because switching coaches, that's a very difficult thing, especially when it's someone who's been as successful at a place where success is not ordinary mm-hmm. as Willie Fritz has been at Tulane. SMU gone, well, there's your two, your two teams that competed for the conference championship yep. this year, one gone and one probably going to be inferior, at least for a couple of seasons until they can potentially, we'll see who they hire and if they can get it back on the rails. And then, you, you know, UTSA, I've, Frank Harris is out of eligibility finally, I believe. Um, am, I, am I right on that? Is Frank Harris I, 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 I would assume. Hey, I, here's the thing, Christian. I would assume all that, but at the same time, I've been wrong several times before with yes. the, with the you, COVID you, eligibility and everything else. It's right. very confusing. You, you never know anymore. But but still, even at He's that, listed as a say, senior. I'll tell you that. He's listed as a senior. Yeah. If that means that's anything to you. as good as we can do. So it, even if Frank Harris is back, like UTSA wasn't, as impressive this year as they have been in years past. They were still solid. They still had an opportunity to go to the conference championship, but it is wide open for Memphis to run it, to run it straight to the conference championship. They'll have the most experienced quarterback in the conference. They'll have some of the most experienced weapons in the conference, some of the best weapons in the conference. So overall, it's just, it seems like the, it seems like the stars should align for Memphis. And I don't know how, how people will look at it with no SMU, Houston, Cincinnati, and with no Willie Fritz. You'll still have people, even if Memphis goes straight to the conference championship, saying that it was a cupcake walk and stuff like that. But regardless, I'm not really, I don't really care about any of that. Memphis should be able to take care of business and kind of get back to where they have been. We saw an increase this year, it should take another step forward next year. Yeah, and uh, it looks like Ryan and the staff are doing pretty good on the roster retention front thus far. Obviously, things change. Things can spiral out of control on you. Um, we know about uh, sort of people you know, sticking their nose in, asking about money and how much NIL dollars guys want. We saw it with Caden Prescorn last year when he said he was going to stay. But it looks like so far, Rock Taylor, Seth Hennigan, guys are locked in for next year so we'll see how that all ages but that that's a good sign as well now uh Memphis basketball we won't spend a whole bunch of time but uh lost to Ole Miss uh any panic alarms push besides uh for the uh besides for uh Jordan Brown Jordan Brown has just not looked good and you're not getting what you thought you were going to get from him yeah that that's the only panic alarm that I'm pushing and last week I feel like we had a lot more optimism about about him and what potentially could be is it still on the table that, you know, he figures it out and gets it together and this becomes the beautiful marriage that we all thought it would be? Yes, but as games go by, we are going to be less and less optimistic about that, especially going into the stretch that they're about to go on, VCU, A&M, Clemson. They need that. They need to have him. Yep. And we just left a game where the University of Memphis lost on the road to Ole Miss and Jordan Brown, who is expected to be probably one of their best three players, maybe their second best player this year, 
played seven minutes, had two fouls basically as soon as he came into the game and was a non-factor. And that is that is not good. That is not good at all. I mean, for him to play seven minutes in a game, if you would have told somebody that going into the season, they would have laughed in your face to say that he was going to be healthy for a full game and play seven minutes and virtually make no impact. Make a and let's call it what it is: make a negative impact. Yep. Nobody would believe that. Yep. But that's where we are, and we'll we'll see how they handle it. We'll see how it unfolds. Uh, credit Penny to taking credit for it being his fault, but I don't believe it's Penny's fault. Um, but other than that, no, because they played what was a better Ole Miss team than, than maybe we expected them to be. And Ole Miss was hot. Yep. They, they were shooting the ball well. Matthew Morrell played really well. And Memphis couldn't hit. They were 3 of 18 from 3. Star players didn't really play well outside of David Jones. Like it just it was another game very similar to the Villanova game where Memphis was just off offensively. They just didn't look right offensively. Yep. And maybe you want to maybe maybe you want to have a little bit of skepticism about that. Maybe you want to be a little bit panicked over that. I'm not yet because I just think there's too many good players on this team to be worried about the offense, but they played at least a decent enough opponent. They played terribly offensively. Ole Miss played about as good as you can offensively. Shot 50% from 3. And Memphis still led for the vast majority of this game and lost. Memphis by lost three. by three, right? Like in the end of the right. day, it's you know, um, a lot of things spiraled out of control on you, and it really wasn't that bad of a loss. I think it'll age better than people think it will right this second. I think Ole Miss is a better team, especially if they get Brandon Murray um, sort of uh, into the fold eventually. This team could be a lot better than than what it looks like right this second. And they're seven and zero, so you can't you can't really uh, right. act like they've been bad so far this year. Um, but Memphis at this point, I mean, you got to win these. You got to string some string some games together. You got to beat VCU. You got to deal and see if you can get a win, win against A and M. But you have the opportunities right there ahead of you. You have two top twenty five opponents in the next three games, so it's still there yeah. for them to take. They just got to take it. And I, one more thing here, last thing for you with that Ole Miss game. If you're putting blame, if you're throwing the blame game around, like I saw a lot of people go after Penny Hardaway. Do you? Do you share those same sentiments? Maybe a little bit, not getting David Jones the ball for the last five minutes, but do you do you share those same sentiments? Do you think Penny got outcoached by uh, Chris Beard? I, I don't know. I, I think that's a pretty difficult argument to make. I mean, honestly, you, you can't make players hit shots, and that's what this game came down to. Ole Miss hit more shots than Memphis, and they were more efficient. So I, I don't know how much you can put on Penny. Like, Javon Quinterly didn't play his best game. Jaquan Walton didn't play his best game. Jordan Brown certainly didn't play his best game. So when all of your star players are off, it's kind of hard to win a game. And for all of your star players to be off, how do you throw blame on the head coach? Now, are there things, like you mentioned, like with David Jones not getting the ball the last five minutes, are there things where you can point to Penny a little bit? Of course, there's that in every game for yeah. every head coach. But I just think the team was off. And hopefully this isn't not Anomaly. hopefully, but this is not this is not an excuse we can keep using. We've used it for the Nova game, we've used it for the Ole Miss game. We can't look up in two weeks and use the same excuse for A and M and Clemson and VCU and just say they they'll get it figured out. They just don't have that opportunity to mess around. They don't. I know they got the wins over Michigan and Arkansas, and I know they've gotten some quality wins this year. But you can't you, – you don't want to go in the conference looking up and saying, we already have five losses and we missed out on two to four quad one opportunities. 
because we just couldn't shoot the ball. Yep. Not, not It's not an excuse, and you, you can't keep using it. I agree with you. I fully agree. We'll see how it all ages. We'll see what they look like tomorrow against VCU. But, Christian, I appreciate it, man. We'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. See you all back next week. Yes, sir. That's Christian Fowler, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We have a podcast called the On the Bluff Pod, Apple, Spotify, full-length video version on YouTube. He is on X at C Fowler. BCM. Now we need to hop into the blitz, and you know I, I I have to bring this to the forefront because it's been a discussion in NBA circles. Um, it's about the in season tournament. Pacers upset the Celtics last night, and it was a scene to behold. There's no question about it. The 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 Indiana fans were up and at them. It is certainly a playoff type atmosphere. So we'll talk about the in season tournament. Is it a success? Can we already tab at that? Or do you want to wait to see a little bit more? I'll give you my answer on the other side, 92.9 FM ESPN.